Hello and welcome back to Podcast from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. I'm so enjoying talking to you these days, even though, or perhaps especially because our country is so troubled and stressed. We're all stressed. I've just been watching uh, the mayor of Johannesburg and the CEO of Johannesburg Water explain with straight faces that they're doing their best to get uh, water tankers to all parts of the city. No one on the television uh, in the studio seemed to think it's strange that Africa's richest city no longer has reliable piped water. It's quite extraordinary. And it's just another sign of the massive failure of the South African state. Um, we see it all around us. And the more the government tries to convince us they're on top of the problem, the more we know they're not telling the truth. Shortly before his appointment, the new Minister of Electricity, Jose Enzo Ramachopa, published a long report on the state of our infrastructure. For the past few years, Ramachopa has been, had been head of the infrastructure drive in the presidency, Infrastructure South Africa, ISA, reporting directly to President Sir Ramaphosa. In his departing report, Ramachopa gives himself, gave himself relatively high marks, but left behind a list of over 80 hugely complicated tasks uh, that still needed to be done. Uh, and as far as I know, he hasn't been replaced. The list is way too long to read to you. But I'm going to just, and please forgive me, uh, just try two randomly selected interventions. And remember that he titled his report, South Africa's Infrastructure Emergency, not Crisis, an Emergency. First off, there is, and I really do apologize for this, the following. This is an intervention. Consolidate project preparation resources from other government departments and entities to ISA. The lack of a credible, robust and bankable project pipeline has been cited as a key driver of the country's inability to leverage private sector funding for the delivery of large-scale infrastructure projects. As ISA has been mandated as a single entry point for large-scale infrastructure, and the country's single national custodian of the infrastructure project pipeline, it is critical to identify, designate and ring-fence significant fiscal resources for financing project preparation. Close quotes. That's quite a mouthful. That's bureaucracy at its best. And if you think that's going to take a while, particularly because he hasn't been replaced, how about this? The next intervention was simple one. Expedite the development of provincial and network industry infrastructure plans, which are costed through to 2050. Now, both you and I know that's never going to happen. Or if it does, there'll just be pieces of paper that are ignored because people change, new people come into jobs. Whoever ever replaces him as the uh, president's infrastructure czar will ignore almost everything he said um, uh, while he was there. And certainly he'll ignore his departing report. Addressing a, an infrastructure conference last week, Someone called Zef Nsleko, uh, he's chief economist at the Development Bank of Southern Africa, the DBSA, um, our biggest sort of development finance institution, could barely hide his rage and frustration. He said that, in fact, and no water and no lights notwithstanding, the government is simply incapable of delivering the infrastructure to get water into your taps and power into your light bulbs. We know what to do, he said, when there is market or private sector failure. But when there's public sector failure, we don't know, because the people who are inefficient are the ones making the rules and regulations. And don't, he said to his audience, talk to me about the national plan this or the recovery plan that, the kind of thing 
President Ramaphosa loves. These these plans don't allocate any roles and responsibilities. They fail to explain what targets to aim for, and they don't deal with resource allocation whatsoever. So what he's what he's saying, it seems to me, is that he wants to know the detail. What's the granular detail of literally one little piece of infrastructure? How do you how do you put a fence around an infrastructure project? Who does it? What's his name? What's the company called? How deep are the poles? We just don't go into detail here. It's too much for the politicians. And our glitzy infrastructure conferences, ringing presidential rhetoric, despite the investment conferences, um, which really amount to little more than the sum of what corporates were going to do anyway in a particular year. None of the talk, the appointments, the plans, the hopes, the dreams really have any substance. We're being lied to. We literally are a talk shop and nothing else or at least the ANC government is. Hot air, but not the kind, sadly, that rises. The only way out of this mess, I think, is the private sector. Call it PPP, public-private partnerships, or privatization, call it whatever. The only people who stand any chance of getting the country going again or sitting up in bed are business, or is business. And even then, even when it is actually decided, the government can't quite do it. It can't, for instance, let go of SAA, even though it got to be losing a bomb again, however few its roots. It can't stick to the renewable power timetable it set itself. It's way behind. It can't run the ports or the railways. Private partners are being sought, but naturally, naturally, there's hesitation. I mean, because when you partner with the South African government, by now you know you're, you know you're about to go into business with the ANC, with all its glorious corruption, its factions, its deviousness, its envy, and probably its hatred of you because you're better at, better at what you do than their state and they know it. If there's a queue to manage the ports of Durban and Kucha, what's taking so long? If there's private capital waiting to run the railway line now on offer from a desperate and depleted transnet between Johannesburg and Durban, the country's main economic artery, What's taking so long? What's taking so long is that the government can't bring itself to get out of the way. It would literally rather crash the country than risk the humiliation of, of being seen as not totally in control. That may be too harsh, I don't know. I actually don't think very many people left in the high ranks of the ANC actually understand what collapse that crash, what that crash might look like, how quickly it might overwhelm us. In the Treasury, they know. In the Reserve Bank, they know. They're the reason we aren't already printing money. Why inflation is more or less under control, despite the cries from the left that prices don't matter. They're the reason we can still borrow money to pay the salaries of the folk who think inflation doesn't matter. They're the reason we're still standing, still faintly respectable. But that's about it. In the presidency, who knows what's happening? I heard Sir Ramaphosa try seriously to explain to a reporter the other day about the unipolar world and now, and now the multipolar world um, have, come, have come into being. This by way of explaining our inability to condemn the Russian invasion of Ukraine. In other words, what he was trying to do was excuse our support for Russia. Well, let's see. Cyril can be charming, but even if Joe Biden likes him, it's going to take some doing keeping us inside the American uh, growth uh, um, the African Growth and Opportunities uh, Act when it comes up for renewal next year. Most of our exports to America, including lots of cars, um, 
get into the U.S. because of this, because we are part of AGOA. And, uh, you know, remaining part of AGOA depends on the way we behave and supporting supporting the Russian invasion and their bloodthirsty behavior in Ukraine isn't going to win us any friends. And whatever Joe Biden might think, uh, the decision is not in his hands. It's in the it's in the hands of the Senate and the House of Representatives. And I think we'll have a really, really tough time uh, staying part of a goer. Uh, we we have to, you know we know this anyway. We're going to walk the plank uh, and think we can get away with it, and think we can walk back. And we'll see. We better start thinking about ways to export cars to Russia and China. They're just going to love products made by black people. And now Cyril has sent Josienzo off from infrastructure to fix ESCOM. The man, professor, doctor, engineer, he's beyond qualified, went to Kusila, the spanking new and totally broken power plant. Each of its six units should be capable of producing 800 megawatts. That's enough on its own to stop load shedding in its tracks if they were all functioning. Eight times six is 4,800 megawatts of raw, coal-fired, baseload power, the kind of power that makes Guadamantasha's eyes swivel. The new minister left saying that he had spoken to the staff and they were all confident the plan could be restored to service. I see no corruption here, he said, or something like that. In fact, though, Kusila is, a, is an actual crime scene. The reason it doesn't work is that the boilers in the plant were supplied by Hitachi Africa, a company co-owned by the ANC. In short... Despite being approved by ESCOM engineers, including the Gupta collaborator Marcello Coco, the boilers overheat and billions have had to be spent on making them taller and cooler. The plants were designed by engineers with no knowledge of the slow-burning characteristics of South African coal. We know all this too late for Unit 1, where a build-up of fly ash has so weighed down the exhaust ducting it collapsed. Worse it turns out that the power plant's six exhausts feed into two large chimneys more than 100 metres high. That's what you get when you're trying to do too much to save money. You cut engineering corners. When the ducts from Unit 1 failed, it so weakened the structure and the chimney that Units 2 and 3 had to shut down as well. None of this would have happened if the ANC had not entered into a corrupt partnership with Hitachi in the first place. Having become a partner with Itachi, it then gave Itachi ho ho the contract uh, to supply the boilers for both Madupi and Kusila, and we can safely presume the savings made on the engineering designs profited the ruling party directly. If Khotienso Ramakhopa can't see that he's going to come short, it's all very well to approach ESCOM as a merely technical problem sitting there waiting to be fixed. Maybe there's a maybe there's there's a case for that thinking to a degree. But it can only be fixed by people. And people are sometimes crooked. And ESCOM may be fatally corrupted. We'll see. To be honest, the sharp load shedding of the beginning of the year is tailed off. It's a kind of relief, um, but tinged with doubt. How could this happen literally the moment former CEO Andre de Reuter walked out the door? Is there a switch that you, know, you t- can turn on and off? I doubt it. But I also have no doubt... It was no coincidence that the first day of zero load shedding this year was on Monday, March 20, uh, when Julius Malema brought his economic freedom fighters out on National Shutdown Day. It didn't quite work out that way. The, the turnout was modest and the shutdown far from complete, even, the day, even though the day was wedged between a Sunday and a public holiday. 
Julius claimed a total success, uh, but so did the government. And having had a whole two months to prepare, it actually managed to put police onto the street and keep things peaceful. It worked, but it is hard to imagine Malema will let that go before elections in May next year. He thrives on spectacle, and the 2024 ballot is a make or break for his party. As for the softening and load shedding, there can only really be two explanations. First, the mere appointment of Khotsienso Ramakhopa as electricity minister has galvanized the staff at ESCOM sufficiently for them all to start working harder and better. We need to understand, though, that beyond being appointed and visiting some plants, the new minister hasn't actually done anything yet. Second possibility is that the departure of De Reiter as CEO had been accompanied by a corresponding easing of the fight against corruption, and as a result, incidences of sabotage have subsided. Think about that. And Ramaphosa? He's still under pressure over the US dollar cash heist at his Limpopo game farm, uh, and the fact that you know the people closest to him have either got no judgment or actively undermine him or pursue their own own agendas untroubled by the boss. Every day in that situation brings a new threat. It's frankly still hard to believe he could have been so negligent of the political consequences of running a cash business while head of state. He would, would have been cheered a little bit, I suppose, by what he would see as a victory on shutdown day. And the lower levels of load shedding will calm him a bit. But he can't be sure his electricity move is going to pay off, even though the early signs are positive. Khotsiensho doesn't have a good, indeed any record, of delivering on his promises. And he can't be sure he can hold the line on the Limpopo game farm cash robbery. He certainly can't hold the line on growth. There is no growth or reform. His indulgence of a series of EFF-enabled ANC coalitions in Gauteng and a virtual child as the absolutely clueless mayor of Johannesburg, is a political and a moral abomination and deeply disrespectful to anyone who lives there. Yet the immediate consequences of him going, should the game farm or some other misfortune trip him up, are also all unpleasant. Ramaphosa's replacement would be Paul Mashatila, an unpredictable hidden hand, and like Jacob Zuma, one who thinks the majority not the Constitution is in charge here. The markets, little attention though they pay us these days, would absolutely trash the currency and rand assets if Ramaphosa were to go now. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And there's no opposition party, not even the DA, that could single-handedly run the country. Things may have, you know, gone too far. That's our catch-22. South Africa can't be fixed with a weak and indecisive president at the helm, but if he goes, we get hammered, and there's no opposition within a mile of national power. Something will, you know, come up. We'll win the Rugby World Cup in France this year, obviously. Khotsiensa just needs to make sure the lights don't go out during the final. Well, that's me for now. Thanks for joining. I hope you'll be back here next week. Take care. Bye-bye.